2: I could stay here forever.
1: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
3: Hey, Tom Harbin here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. It's supported by advertising. So after this brief message, we'll get right into it. You know what's shocking that your home can be stolen this easily? That's
4: the brutal lesson Deborah learned when thieves found her home's title online, forged it, and literally took ownership of her home. In an instant, thieves legally owned Deborah's home. She got evicted and spent a fortune in legal fees trying to get it back. You know, the FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes. And you do not want to be next. That's why I urge you to protect the online title to your home with Home Title Lock. You know, the legal documents to our homes are kept online where thieves hunt them. They forge the documents stating you sold your home. Then they borrow against your home and stick you with the payments. And no insurance or bank protects you. Home Title Lock does.
5: You could already be a victim of title fraud and not know it. Find out. Register your home at HomeTitleLock.com and enter WATCH for one month of free protection. Again, enter WATCH for one month free at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com.
3: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio, on every U.S. military base in the world on your electronic device via in Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV network on Dish Network, DirecTV and cable systems all over the country. I wanted to give you my thoughts on the debate. It was fascinating. I thought that uh, obviously the moderators did just a pathetic job of, of controlling things that minute or so where uh, bernie sanders had been name checked and so he was responding and then pete Buttigieg decided that he was going to literally talk over him for the entire minute it was a fox news moment i mean that's how they do things on fox news it's not the kind of thing that cnn would ever tolerate it's not the kind of thing that happens on msnbc it's not the kind of thing that happens on this show and i was just astonished that neither of the moderators said either Mayor Buttigieg, stop. Oh, your turn is coming up. Or Senator Sanders, stop. Your turn is coming up. Somebody should have put an end to that. It happened multiple times. This is really a failure of the moderators, frankly. But I thought, you know, if you just kind of go through the, go through the candidates and, and uh, look at what's going on. First of all, let me just tell you, Mitch McConnell is starting to get worried about Bernie Sanders. This is remarkable. This was yesterday afternoon. Mitch McConnell was talking to reporters about Bernie Sanders being the nominee. And somebody said, well, Sanders is the nominee. You guys are really going to be happy, aren't you? And this is what McConnell said. And I'm quoting. I'm reminded of when the Democrats back in 1980 were all pulling for Ronald Reagan to be the nominee because they thought he'd be the easiest to beat. Mitch McConnell is worried about Bernie Sanders. (laughs) That is pretty amazing. And I think it's a legitimate concern. Ronald Reagan had a movement behind him, a conservative movement, and Bernie Sanders has a movement behind him, a progressive movement, and that's a good thing. I thought Joe Biden did a good job in the debate, although he said he was running for the United States Senate and that if you don't like him, you should vote for the other Bidens. Those were you know moments that got amplified by uh, Stephen Colbert and some of the other people as fun but but by and large he didn't flub anything and 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 you know uh, I thought he did a recent jo- a decent job CBS News obviously the big loser I already riffed on that I think Elizabeth Warren she was one of the few candidates who was not saying who is not saying the way to win this debate is to talk over other people or is to yell them down or things like that her performance wasn't quite as strong as she was in the previous week but she did a great job this a great summary, by the way, with which I largely agree from the Daily Kos staff over on Daily Kos Winner and Losers in the South Dakota debate. I thought Amy Klobuchar was weak, frankly. You know, she's calling out to the mushy middle. You know, I didn't see her having a stellar performance. She did get one, she had one good line in there that I thought was pretty solid. I thought Bernie Sanders did really well. Basically, the first 20 questions were to please tell us why you hate Bernie Sanders or please tell us why you hate somebody else. You'll recall in 2016, in the Republican debates, most of the questions coming from the media, from the big networks and, and uh, the media stars who were asking the questions were about how terrible Hillary is or how terrible the Democrats are or how the Democrats got Obamacare and what are you going to do to fix it and things like that, giving the Republican candidates an opportunity to attack Hillary Clinton and the Democrats in these debates i have noticed a consistent theme they never ask about how bad donald trump is they never ask about specific trump policies they never give the democratic candidates an opportunity to to attack donald trump instead they ask them to attack each other and i think that's pathetic yeah i think it's disgusting i think it's wrong and uh, i think we need to point that out Uh, but bernie did really well last night i thought pete Buttigieg embarrassed himself for a whole minute talking over bernie sanders i thought that was terrible it looked bad, it sounded bad, it was a mess, and you would think that P. Buttigieg would know better. And I think the billionaires on stage, Tom Steyer, I agree with Daily Kos too on this, that both Mike Bloomberg and Tom Steyer, you know, came off as, you know, what the hell are these people doing here? Um, and, you know, I know Bloomberg is still out there, you know, buying massive numbers of ads. He's now showing up, you know, with his ads on the, on the Axios newsletter that I get every morning. He's becoming ubiquitous. But I don't think he has a chance at winning this primary. But we'll see. We'll see. And back to your calls, Matt in Chicago. Matt, you are our caller of the day. You're going to get an autographed copy of your choice of uh, one of my hidden history books, uh, The War on Voting and the Guns in the Second Amendment of the Supreme Court. Which one are you choosing? Uh, Supreme Court. Cool. Okay. I will autograph it to you this afternoon and Joyce will get it in the mail. And thanks for calling. What's on your mind today?
4: Well, like you, I thought that uh, Pete Buttigieg speaking over Bernie Sanders was abysmal, but it really demonstrated the moderator's inability to control the entire debate. Yes. I felt like that was their goal. This is all about corporate media. How do we divide this? You know this stage of, of democratic nominees and make them all look bad
3: Mm-hmm. yeah i agree and and we've seen this in, de- in debate after debate after debate again I, I refer you back to 2016 when the moderators were asking the republicans to attack hillary clinton and to attack the democrats or democratic policies like health care for all and now you've got moderators asking democrats to attack each other and that's <laughs> <laughs> and it's all about creating that train wreck because people slow down for fistfights and car wrecks and that's ratings driven television and they're trying to get the top ratings i thought it was just an absolute train wreck i thought it was an embarrassment i, I was very very disappointed in the moderators and frankly i was very disappointed in the candidates who who decided that talking over somebody who was speaking was somehow the smart and slick thing to do. Matt, thanks a lot for the call, and congratulations on being our caller of the day. Ben in Hood River, Oregon. Hey, Ben, what's on your mind today?
0: Hi, Tom, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to call in and say that I'm personally endorsing Bernie Sanders. He is the only candidate as far as I'm concerned. Pete Buttigieg is just a young face on old money. Warren is an acceptable second place, but it's kind of alienated Bernie supporters and Bloomberg is just Trump but smarter. And that's and almost more scary to me. He's sorry, say again? And richer. Yes, he's richer, so he's even less likely to uh, respect the rule of law. He's actually has experience as an executive. He's less likely to blunder and gaff all the time. He's got the NDAs, so you know, the predation is a question. He's got stop and frisk, so You know, his record on race is not great. He's basically Trump, but smarter and richer. And that scares me almost more than anything else. So it's Sanders as far as I'm concerned. What do you think, Tom?
3: Well, you know, I think Bernie Sanders is no doubt the strongest candidate. I think he has the largest movement behind him. I I think he's the most likely candidate to bring out large numbers of voters who might have sat out the 2016 election because they weren't excited by Hillary Clinton. I think that Elizabeth Warren, if anything were to happen to Bernie, God forbid, uh, or if Elizabeth Warren were simply to win, you know, the primaries, that she could probably capture most of the bernie voters because their policies are so very very similar and i think it's been a strategic mistake for her to attack bernie in the last two debates i don't think that that helps her but she's got consultants in her ear telling her this is the only way to do it and and i think that's unfortunate ben thanks for the call good on you this remarkable new report it was published in the guardian by oliver millman but it's astonishing they're looking at twitter all around the world And on an average day during the period studied in this particular analysis, this was done at Brown University. Ph.D. candidate Thomas Marlowe supervised the research. What they found was that on the average day during the period studied, 25% of all tweets about the climate crisis came from bots. They were responsible for 38% of all tweets about fake science, 28% of all tweets about ExxonMobil. And all of these tweets that are coming from bots are saying there's no such thing as a climate crisis. It's overstated. Don't worry. I don't know if you saw the story that the Heartland Institute, which is a right wing think tank funded by right wing billionaires and fossil fuel companies, has found a nice, young, blonde, attractive teenage girl to be the anti-Greta Thunberg. I mean, this is just so sad. They've got this young woman, and they're putting her out. Again, this is a a phony science organization, and they also promote creationism that is funded by right-wing cranks and by the fossil fuel industry, directly and indirectly. And they've got this teenage girl out there saying, oh, you know, it's all overstated and uh, there's no way that the CO2 we're throwing into the atmosphere is having that dramatic an effect. And really what's going on is that the uh, solar radiation from the sun is going down and has been since the 1970s. And that's causing our weird weather. Well, in fact, solar radiation does change. You know, it goes up and down in this predictable cycles and all that kind of stuff. And it does have a small effect on our weather. And In fact, it probably accounts for the Little Ice Age in Northern Europe. But it may not, too, because that was not a worldwide phenomenon. Nobody's to this day really sure. But it's just so sad that they would do this. And infuriating, frankly. And then we find that a quarter of all the tweets about the climate, which is probably the majority of the tweets denying climate change, are coming from bots. And I'm telling you, these bots, you know, it's not that expensive to buy bots now. You know, I, I mentioned last week our show was being inundated with phony Bloomberg people. And, you know, Bloomberg's a Democrat. And if he's our nominee, I'll vote for him and support him. Um, and I've said that on the air. But we were getting all these first-time callers who, were, who just wanted to go on and talk about Bloomberg. Why? Well, he's paying $2,500 a month to people if they'll promote him on social media. And so, you know, I'm seeing that showing up on my Twitter feed now. I'm not so much on Instagram. We probably should get there. We see it on our Facebook feed. Uh, We certainly saw it for a while. As Nigel, my webmaster, pointed out, uh, it looked like they were using the same artificial intelligence programs that the porn bots use to spam chat rooms. And they were spamming our chat room over on YouTube because the show is simulcast live on YouTube. And there's a chat room associated with that. And, you know, they were popping in there and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But Bloomberg did, to his credit, I suppose, just delete a whole bunch of fake quotes that he had tweeted out. Fake Bernie Sanders quotes, making it sound like uh, Bernie Sanders loved Fidel Castro. And Bloomberg's campaign, this is from a piece that was published on uh, Common Dreams. Raw Story picked it up. You could find it in either place. Mike Bloomberg has been publishing videos attacking Bernie Sanders and Bernie supporters for being toxic, and then Bloomberg fabricated grotesque fake quotes and attributed them to Bernie. That's the bottom line story. And it's remarkable. Sanders' press secretary, Brianna Joy Gray, called the treats a string of intentional outright lies. She said, I'm old enough to remember a full news cycle on an honest mistake I made and, and immediately corrected. I expect to see a similar level of outrage about this string of intentional outright lies From the Bloomberg camp, David Sirot has been tweeting about this as well, saying Mike Bloomberg has been publishing videos attacking Bernie and Bernie Sanders for being toxic. I find this all very sad, you know, that this billionaire thinks that he can just buy his way into it and that by paying people to say nice things about him, somehow that's going to ignite a movement that is going to be so strong and so powerful that it can take down Donald Trump. Donald Trump actually has a movement behind him. He's got a whole bunch of young men, white young men, the incels, probably most of them out there, who just believe that he's gonna be their salvation. He's going to put women back in their place, and he's going to put minorities back in their place, and he's going to somehow make prosperity happen to young white people who are not born with a lot of money. I mean, you know, it's a fantasy and a bizarre and sick fantasy, at least with regard to the position of women and minorities. But, you know, they're out there. He's got, he's got a base. He actually has a base, an active base. Bernie Sanders has a base. Elizabeth Warren has a base. Amy Klobuchar has a base. Basically, Pete Buttigieg has a base. You know, every single one of these people have a large number of people who really like them, and we'll go to the mattress for them, we'll phone bank for them, we'll campaign for them, we'll volunteer for them, we'll go door to door for them. And, you know, there's probably some New Yorkers who remember Bloomberg's mayorship favorably, who kind of like Mayor Bloomberg, but I don't think that you could describe them as a base. I mean, Mike Bloomberg's base is $81 billion. So we'll see what happens, but... Both Bloomberg and Steyer, I wish that instead of trying these vanity runs for president, they would either commit their money to supporting the Democratic nominee, whoever that may be, and taking down Donald Trump. And Bloomberg has said he'll do this, to his credit. And Steyer has suggested or implied that he would do this. But frankly, I mean, I wrote this op-ed to Tom Steyer, kind of an open letter to Tom Steyer, back maybe six, eight months ago when he first was on the scene and at that time, iHeartRadio, which, you know, carries this show in some markets. We're in San Francisco. We're on an iHeartRadio station. And, you know, it's a great company, and it's got, they own a lot of radio stations. They own hundreds and hundreds of radio stations all over the country. And in almost every city in America, you can find an iHeartRadio station that carries right-wing talk radio. And a couple of them carry my show, you know, carry progressive programming, like in San Francisco. And I believe in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So, and God bless them, Right. But the network, because Mitt Romney acquired what it was called Clear Channel, Mitt Romney's vulture capital firm bought it, took progressive programming off the 54 stations we were on, on most of them. And then Romney ran for president, of course. And then he stripped it. This is what vulture capital companies do, is they just strip companies bare. And then they leave them with an enormous amount of debt. And then the company has to pay back the debt. And Romney and his friends walked away with all the money. And so after that happened, iHeartMedia you know, went bankrupt. And they were for sale. They were for sale last year for 1.1 billion dollars, as I recall. And so I wrote this open op-ed to Tom Steyer saying, you want to have an impact? Buy iHeartMedia. Or you know, buy, uh, Cumulus went through bankruptcy too. This is the exact same thing, uh, bought by a vulture capital company. You know, It was originally CBS radio, and then it became Cumulus, and it was bought by the Dickey brothers, and then it went through a vulture capital thing, and then they went bankrupt. And they were for sale. Why don't these guys, you know, I mean, look at what Rupert Murdoch has done. Buy some friggin' media. Right? Buy You know, you look at, at some of our big for-profit stations. You know, KTNF in Minneapolis, where I was last weekend. WCPT in Chicago, where I will be next weekend. We've got some substantial, you know, KTRC in, in uh, Santa Fe, great station. These are independent stations that are locally owned by, by good people. We need more of this. We need more progressive media out there. So, you know, maybe if you know any of these billionaires, whisper in their ear, okay? Coming up in the Science Revolution this week, I explain why biodiversity matters and what happens when we lose biodiversity. Margaret Butler from the Extinction Rebellion is here about the activists fighting against oil trains and what happened to them. Dr. David Reichmuth also joins me on the impact of electric cars and find out why people are adding mushrooms to their coffee. That's the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Welcome back, Tom Harbin here with you. So I found the actual uh, tweets that uh, Team Bloomberg had put out that were phony Bernie quotes. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I'm guessing, since these are all literally made-up quotes, that they thought that they were being sarcastic, sort of the way uh, Adam Schiff, you know, uh, misquoted Donald Trump in his hearings for which he took so much heat. Uh, These tweets have since been deleted. Here's a couple of them. And keep in mind, these are in quotation marks. So these are supposed to be quotes from Bernie Sanders. They're tweeted by Team Bloomberg, which is at Mike 2020. Look, we all know Bashar al-Assad, that's the dictator of Syria. Look, we all know Bashar al-Assad has committed countless war crimes against his own people. But let's not forget how he introduced paper recycling to reduce municipal waste. So when you think of it, he's really kind of a hero. Right. This is a supposed Bernie quote, right? I mean, that Bloomberg made up. Here's another one. Should we really hold Muammar al-Qaddafi's extrajudicial killings of political opponents against him when he also built a pretty sweet countrywide irrigation system? Hashtag Bernie on despots. Here's another one. Again, supposedly quoting Bernie Sanders. Who am I to question Kim Jong-un for starving millions of his own people when he opened a kick-ass water park with over 10 slides of lazy river and a wave machine? What a blast. All right. By the way, that could be a, that could be a Donald Trump quid tweet. And here's another one. Quote, uh, again, this is supposed to be Bernie. It's not. It's a lie. It's made up. Uh, Vladimir Putin is willing to poison anyone who disagrees with him. But have you seen that? How that guy looks without a shirt? Mm, del- delish. Uh, hashtag Bernie on despots. I mean, this is, this is uh, you know beyond reprehensible. And uh, yesterday, uh, Bloomberg tweeted a clip of Bernie Sanders on 60 Minutes saying, yes, the Castro regime was, and still is, a despotic regime. We don't like that, we don't encourage that. But you know, if you're wondering why there wasn't a revolution against Castro in 1960 when he became president, it's because he gave free education to everybody and the illiteracy was like really, really high in Cuba at the time, and literally people were dying of poverty. And he gave everybody free education and he gave everybody free healthcare. And that's absolutely true. And that clip, Bloomberg tweeted that clip out and saying, you know, here's Bernie praising communist Cuba. Right. And the headline in The New York Times. And there's one over at uh, TPM, you know, Bernie's going to take some heat from the from the Cubans in Florida on this one. Right. So here's Barack Obama saying the exact same thing.
4: And I, I said this to President Castro in Cuba. I said, look, you've made great progress in educating young people. Every child in Cuba gets a basic education. That's a huge improvement from where it was. Medical care. The life expectancy of Cubans is equivalent to the United States, despite it being a very poor country, because they have access to health
3: care. That's a huge achievement. They should be congratulated. So there you go. They They should be congratulated. So President Obama, I guess, is a communist, too, right? Come on guys. Like I said, this clip is all over Twitter. It's all over the internet. The Atlantic did an article about it. It'll be on our Twitter stream. If this BS issue comes up and they fail to also play this clip of Obama, I'm calling foul in advance. And we all should, and we should all get on Twitter and point it out to them. Um, You know, so anyway. Steve in Topanga, California. Hey, Steve. Thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today?
5: Hey, Tom. Good to talk to you again. My slogan today is Education is the savior of the nation, okay. and um, I really think that people need to get their own education by reading books. And I'm reading The Crisis of Conscience: Whistleblowing in an Age of Fraud by Tom Mueller. He goes across the board on all these industries that are just actually stealing from the American public. Hmm. And I like the America, the Farewell Tour by Chris Hedges. Promote mm-hmm. your book that I just read, Hidden History of the Supreme Court, The Betrayal of America. That was also good. Thank you. And I, you know the thing about uh, Bernie's Cuba thing? Well, I was in Cuba a couple of years ago. I spent 10 days there, and I loved it. It was great. I didn't see any homeless people. No, it's, uh, they outlaw
3: homelessness. So, you know, if somebody's homeless, the government has to provide them with a home, period, full stop. It's just that simple. A lot
5: of the problem, I think, is that Americans don't get out and see things for themselves. I mean, there's very few people that have passports. The percentage is very low. Yeah, it's about 5%
3: of Americans, I believe, have passports, and about 2.5% of Americans have traveled outside of North America. <laughs>
5: exactly, and that's what I'm saying. When you get out and see things for yourself... You know, you attain your critical thinking, you know, and right. and you get past people's opinions. And um, sport, you know, socialism, we're socialized all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like you say, police, fire, libraries, schools. You know, I grew up in the 60s and I had a good public education. Me too. And, you know, the last thing I want and that to say was, is that was that know,
3: socialist Dwight Eisenhower. He was the one, yeah, particularly exactly, after Sputnik know, went up in 57, he was the one, Dwight Eisenhower <laughs> was the one who poured federal money into into primary education all across the United States. You
5: know, and um, listening to you, I didn't realize, because I was a little bit too young at the time, but Eisenhower, I didn't realize how beneficial his presidency was, you know. Yeah. And, you know, your show is so good on educating people on the real facts. And I, I love that, you know. After the revolution in Cuba, Castro went to the United Nations in New York. He couldn't get a hotel room. He had to go to Harlem to get a hotel room. Right. And,
3: we and by the way, he had reached out. This was, you know, the, the revolution was in 59 and Nixon was vice president and Eisenhower had had a heart attack in 1959 and Nixon was largely running the White House. And Castro reached out to Nixon. He reached out to the Eisenhower administration and said, I would like to align myself with the United States. We're going to be socialist, but we would like to align ourselves with the United States. And Nixon turned him down. And that's when he turned to the Soviet Union.
5: He had no choice. And you look at Iran now. You know, people don't realize that we overthrew the democratically elected president. Yeah, Iran, Mossadegh. Mossadegh. Yep. Yeah, and then you talked about Cuba and uh, Allende and the Chicago School of Economics
3: right. and
6: Milton yeah.
5: Freeman. And, you know, Reagan, you know, was influenced by Milton Friedman. Yep. You know, and it's just, it's, it's just, you need to know history. And that's how you get
3: educated. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And all this, a lot of this stuff that you're talking about here, Steve, is in my next book, The Hidden History of Monopoly and the Destruction of the American Middle Class. I'm going to do the voting
5: book first. Okay,
3: you do it. Steve, thanks for the call. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Let's have a reasonable, rational, common sense conversation about this whole coronavirus thing. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, came out and said, brace yourself, Americans, brace yourself. This is coming. Dr. Nancy Messimer, the director of the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases at the Centers for Disease Control, said, and I quote, it's not so much a question of if this will happen in this country anymore, but a question of when this will happen. She went on to say, we are asking the American public to prepare for the expectation that this might be bad. Now. This particular virus, this COVID-19 virus, and it's got a few other names, but let's call it the Wuhan virus to make it simple, is part of the family of coronaviruses. The coronavirus A family of viruses are the common cold and all these rhinoviruses that we constantly get where you get a runny nose for a week or you're sneezing or you get a sore throat. They take dozens of different forms because there's literally hundreds of different variations on the coronavirus A's and we get them, and they're obnoxious, and we recover from them just fine. And one of the things that we know about coronavirus A is that immunity is not lasting. It's not like the measles where once you get it, you'll never get it again. We get it every single year. Sometimes we get it two or three times a year because we don't have lasting immunity. Now, that's a concern about the coronavirus B family, which is what the wuhan virus was part of it's what sars was part of it's what mers is which is the, the disease that came out of camels that they're having problems with right now in saudi arabia and the middle east which is a, even more deadly than the wuhan virus but right now so far it seems to be limited to the middle east but you know it may be that we don't develop immunity and that every year there's going to be the cold flu and wuhan virus season so what do we do about this How do we as individuals deal with it? Well, first of all, how do we as a country deal with it? So now we've got the president who told us that the way to deal with forest fires is to rake the forest. The way to fix the cathedral in France being on fire is to drop water bombs on it, which would have, of course, destroyed it. And the way to stop a hurricane coming to the United States is to set off a nuclear bomb inside it. That guy just told us yesterday, don't worry, everything's good. And just be happy and keep the stock market going up. But the fact of the matter is that Italy has now locked down 50,000 people in 10 northern towns. The coronavirus cases outside of China have doubled every five and a half days since January. In the U.S., we were at 34 confirmed cases last week. We now have 53 confirmed cases. But where it gets really spooky is that Rear Admiral Tim Zimmer, who was the Senior Director for Global Health Security, the guy inside the White House in the National Security Council who was in charge of our response to a to an explosive uh, epidemic, he was fired in 2018 by Trump and never replaced. John Bolton didn't just remove Zeimer. He eliminated the position altogether, the entire National Security Council's Global Health Security Unit. It is gone. He also forced out, Bolton also forced, forced out Tom Bossert, a highly regarded expert. This is from the Shiro newsletter, who was Zimmer's counterpart at the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security. So neither foreign policy magazine reported it back in January that neither the NSC nor the DHS epidemic teams have been replaced and Trump slashed funding for the CDC's epidemic efforts. So we've got a real problem here. What do we do? I'll give you some suggestions after the break and then we'll pick up your phone calls. Stick around you're listening to the tom hartman program we'll be right back we'll finish a uh, what i hope is a reasonable and rational conversation about this coronavirus thing and uh, then pick up your phone calls on all the topics of the day so when you look in the mirror do you see wrinkles around your eyes crow's feet a large under-eye bags would you rather not see them Imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery, just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? Try it. You won't have to imagine anymore. You'll look just like you only 10 years younger. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will even know you're using it. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm, plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off, plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code VOICES at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com, code VOICES. Welcome back. Tom Harbin. here with you. Just to, just to close the conversation that I started before the break, as I mentioned, the National Security Council's entire epidemic division was shut down by Donald Trump two years ago. It's still gone the human health and human services and the dhs department of homeland security their divisions that deal with epidemic diseases have been shut down by donald trump and are still gone why well because it's science stuff you know and trump doesn't believe in science and and it's liberal stuff it's the government doing things while we should just rely on united healthcare and you know uh, bear pharmaceuticals to deal with all this stuff we don't need no stinking government this is you know pretty breathtaking trump also tried to decimate funding for the us public health service Uh, Congress pushed back on that. So what Trump is doing is refusing to allow them to hire people who to replace people who have resigned or aged out who have retired. And there is no clear chain of command for pandemic response in the White House any longer. And the ability to test for this coronavirus, that ability to test exists in three of the more than 100 public health labs across the country verified by the CDC. So basically, if somebody shows up with these symptoms, we don't really at this moment even have the mechanism to test for it. But the New York Times published a statement by the Centers for Disease Control saying this is coming to the United States and we need to prepare ourselves. James Hamblin wrote a piece for The Atlantic a couple of days ago, February 24th, headlined, you're likely to get the coronavirus. So what do we do? I mean, this is probably going to end up being like the common cold, a virus that just kind of periodically sweeps around the world. And the number one thing, I mean, Louise and I had a long conversation with us, and two of our kids, one's a PA and the other's a, an NP, both of them primary health care providers. And you know, we've had this conversation with our kids as well, who are on the front line. They're, they're the most likely to be exposed to this disease long before Louise and I are. And our consensus, and this is just my opinion, and I'm not a scientist, but this I think this is common sense, is you do the same things that you do to try to avoid getting the flu and the common cold. You wash your hands regularly. You don't touch infected surfaces. You try to break the habit of, you know, touching your nose or picking your nose or sticking your fingers in your mouth or even touching your eyes without having first washed your hands because the virus gets on your hands just like the flu virus does just like the common cold does gets on your hands from touching a contaminated surface whether it's a doorknob or a button in an elevator or whatever it may be public place you wash your hands and try to get out of the habit of touching yourself in the face but most importantly get healthy I mean, that's your best defense against the common cold. It's your best, def- which is a coronavirus. It's your best defense against the flu. I had the flu two weeks ago. I was on vacation with my family and we were down in Central and South America and we traveled there through Galveston and, and Texas was having a flu epidemic at the time. And all but I think two of us got the flu on that trip. And you know it lasted a day or two and I had a little cough tickle in my, in my throat and it went away. And then, you know, Sean had it when I got back. Louise got it after we got back. But if you're healthy, you're fine. And that's the bottom line. So, you know, start paying attention to how you're eating and start eating a lot of fruit and vegetables and a lot of diverse stuff and a lot of green things and a lot of things that have a lot of color in them to build up your body and your immune system. Start walking a mile or two every single day. Get your body in good shape so that physically you can deal with getting sick because the vast majority of people who get this Wuhan virus just you know for them it's like a cold it's one of the reasons why I suspect that the fatality rate is actually below the 2.3 percent that China's reporting because I'm guessing that probably half these cases are not even diagnosed because people just get very mild symptoms some people get no symptoms at all but they can still spread the virus so let's ramp down the hysteria here and, yeah, you know, if, if one, two, three percent of people are dying from it, that's a problem. Most of the people who are dying from it are people who are very, very young and have not yet developed immunity, or very, very old and are falling apart to begin with, And which is the same thing. I mean, flu kills 35,000 people in the United States every year. Who does it kill? Mostly people who have compromised immune systems, people who are not in good health, people who are elderly. These are going to be the populations that this virus is going to do the most damage to. So if you're in one of those populations, try to get yourself healthy. And then the other thing I would add is, uh, you know, let's all not panic. And let's try to calm our neighbors and friends down not to panic. That said, Louise and I lived in Detroit in the 1970s. That's where our oldest daughter was born in the Saint Mary's Hospital in Livonia. We lived in Westland, which is right next to Inkster, which is, you know, suburban Detroit. In fact, we lived right on the border, Inkster Road. And the Arab oil embargo had happened, and Nixon was president, and he had put into place wage and price controls and said you could only buy gasoline if your license plate ended with an odd number on, uh, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and an even number every other day, uh, as I recall. And the Teamsters went on strike to protest that. And living in Detroit, all of a sudden, you know, in response to the oil embargo and the Teamsters strike, the supermarkets in Detroit were emptied in about two or three days. Just emptied. So, you know, I'm expecting that there, and, and we just heard this from Northern Italy, that in two of these towns in Italy now, there's no food in any of the supermarkets. Now, they're going to restock. It's going to come back just like it did in Detroit. This is happening in China as well. But, you know, there's probably nothing wrong with having a couple of weeks worth of, you know, canned beans the, that you'll use anyway. You know, stock up on a little extra food but, and toilet paper products and things like that. But, you know, let's not panic and let's not spread panic. Let's just be reasonable about this. Get in good physical health. Take the same care that you take to avoid the common cold. And the flu virus is, Sean's over here doing, yes, doing her exercises. I mean, I was, you know, this last week, I flew from Los Angeles to San Francisco on a plane that was a connection plane for people coming from Asia into Los Angeles. I flew from San Francisco to Seattle on a plane that was a connecting plane for people coming from, from Asia into San Francisco. These are international airports. I flew from Seattle back here to Portland, out of an airport that has lots of flights coming in from, from Asia, you know, where they're having this disease, particularly South Korea now. I mean, a lot of the flights from China have been cut down. What did I do? I washed my hands constantly. I was, I was very, very careful not to touch my face. And I had some of those little uh, towelettes, you know, the, the, to disinfect your hands, you know, if you don't have soap. And I would use those to wipe down the arm rests on the airplane where I was sitting. Right? It's just, I mean, it's simple stuff. You don't need to get hysterical or OCD about this. It's probably coming. The CDC said it's probably coming. But let's be reasonable. OK, let's just let's take a deep breath. OK. You're
5: listening to Tom Hartman.
3: Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up?
6: Well, I wanted to back you up on not panicking about this coronavirus. Most people don't realize that we've already had 16,000 people die from the flu this year, and nobody's screaming about it, of which 157 were children. But if you do have someone in your home that is susceptible to anything that's going around, you know, like when we have pink eye in the school, everybody wipes their grocery cart with one of those cleaner rags They pick up the baskets and wipe it so that you don't take pink eye home. Right. This is common sense, practical stuff. But if you have someone that you don't want going out in the public, then go ahead and prepare them some meals so that they can stack them in the freezer. And that way, if they're afraid to go out, they will have prepared cooked food in the freezer. And if you don't have one, you can order a two-by-two, five-foot-tall one from one of the big-box stores. Mm-hmm. It's full of shelves, so there's no way a child can get in it. And you can stack pre-made dinners for your person who is susceptible to stuff like this so they don't have to leave home. Right. And that way you can isolate them until whatever goes through your community is moved on. Right. and put them on a higher dose of vitamin C. This is what we were talking about at the health food store.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one thing our, that I would stock up on. And in fact, Louise and I just bought Amazon now sells vitamin C in 300, one gram, 1,000 milligram vitamin C in a 300 cat, tablet bottle. And we bought two or three of them. <laughs> so we've got well, like a yeah, year's supply of vitamin C. You need, a,
6: bo- you you need take, a bottle for every family member. Yeah, you, you should take it. a
3: gram of it every four or five hours because it flushes out of your system after four or five hours. So...
6: Yeah, and uh, get a high level of vitamin D. Your body needs this.
3: Yep, yep, simple stuff. And the other thing I was doing when I was on the road and I was doing book signings, people would stick out their hand. They wanted me to shake hands. And I would just say, and I would say- That's what I'm
6: about to say is don't shake hands. Don't even do a fist bump. You know that way you don't take it home. Yeah. Buy a bottle of alcohol and some paper towels and wipe stuff down. A lot of these little bottles of hand sanitizer mm-hmm. does not contain a high enough level of alcohol. So pay attention to what you buy. And if you can't find your hand sanitizer, remember that a lot of the mouthwashes contain high levels of
3: alcohol. There you go. <laughs> <So you laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is why the winos will drink them. Uh, Norma, thank you for the call. It's nice to hear from you. Roy in Bainbridge Island, Washington. Hey, Roy, what's on your mind today?
2: Tom, and, it's my 90th birthday, and I have already happy voted birthday, in my prim- Thank you. I've already voted in my primary for uh Bernie Saunders, and I'm thinking of even joining up with the people, but uh, I've listened to you for a long time, and this is my first call, mm-hmm. and I just wanted you to know that. uh people out there that are all uh old white guys are not <laughs> conservatives there you go
3: well uh, if you're 90 years old today Roy, you must have been born in 1930 is that
2: right i was born february 25 1930 right there you go three year, when i was three years and a month old roosevelt took office
3: yeah you, and, you were you were born and, the same year my mother was and my dad was born in 32 yeah. and and um, so you grew up with franklin roosevelt as president while you were a child and a teenager uh-huh. and then harry truman as well and then and then dwight eisenhower how did america That's right. That's... Do, do you recall the republicans scream I'm, you know father coughlin was doing this on the radio almost every day screaming about how fdr was a socialist and do you recall how generally speaking americans thought of fdr
2: Oh, oh yes that they, they, they conservatives that my parents knew and that I knew ca- talked about that man
3: in the White House right. and uh, <laughs> yeah my dad but, hated uh, him I mean you know because he thought he was a communist it's uh, yeah Louise's grandmother uh, would not speak his name like she said that man in the White House she would not speak his name she hated him uh, the, you know the Republican sure. there was a serious Roosevelt hatred on the Republican side it makes, makes oh, burning yes. hatred look pale. I also liked Eleanor. I was just just,
2: uh, growing up. I mean, it was anyway. My yeah. My father came from uh, from England. He 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 was hired by Ford Motor Company from uh, Leeds University. He was in World War One in the cavalry, the English cavalry, and and, uh, wounded and all that. But uh, he came to Ford to uh, help them tool up to make a V eight engine. Wow! And uh, yeah, and uh, they fired him. In 29, because I was on the way, my mother was pregnant, and he had had a Liberty Roadster up until last time, but when he wanted to get a sensible car. And being a mechanical engineer, as well as a tool design maker, he ended up buying a a 29 Chevrolet, and uh, got fired, and then went to Turnstead's. It's there forever. After that, uh-huh. till he till, he, till yeah. he died in '64 because he was
3: a chain smoker oh from my. World War One. Yeah, my dad to too. My, my dad, when he was uh, in World War Two, I mean, he he joined during the war, but by the time he got out of basic training, uh, the war had ended. So they sent him to Japan where he uh, was part of the occupation. But they gave every every GI a pack of cigarettes, uh, a carton of cigarettes every week. And, oh, I know, and, and my dad know. got addicted yeah, there, and that helped kill him. War yeah it was lucky strikes yeah. actually that's what he smoked all his life and sure, and sure. uh you know he ended up with uh, mesothelioma and he also had kidney cancer and and he also had diabetes and he also had cardiovascular disease and i think all of those things came out of that smoking oh Roy, Roy, i'm sorry i'm out of time but it's great talking with you happy 90th birthday and thanks so much for the call and thanks for listening to us on kbcs there in Bainbridge island it's great to hear from you yeah. Hey, friends, wanted to give you the latest news about my good friend Bill Press. Bill no longer does his progressive morning show, but that doesn't mean he's gone away. No way. He's now out with a great new podcast, the Bill Press Pod, dropped twice a week. Check out the Bill Press Pod for Bill's interviews with some of the country's leading progressives, like Maxine Waters, Mark Bokan, Jamie Raskin all roasting Donald Trump, plus his lively end-of-the-week roundtable with three of Washington's top political reporters commenting on the latest craziness from the White House, Congress, and the 2020 Democratic primary. For years, Bill Press has been one of the leading progressive voices in our country, so I'm so glad he's still out there on the left and stronger than ever. I encourage you to join me by subscribing to Bill's new podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts, search for the Bill Press pod, click on subscribe, and you're in for a true progressive experience on The Bill Press Pod. Check out Bill's new podcast, The Bill Press Pod, dropped twice a week. Gina in Ithaca, listening to SiriusXM, what's up, Gina?
0: I just had a thought, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to share this. You know, if Mike Bloomberg has all this money, and Tom Steyer has all this money, and they're truly altruistic, I think they need to get their names out of the race, and they need to put their money into advertising campaigns. I think Bloomberg should go anti-Trump, and Tom Steyer should go climate change. Yeah. I'm also an activist, and I just feel like, you know, we know I'm an art teacher. Art, Mm -hmm. propaganda, advertising, all of this matters. It does. But I really think that if they're going to be altruistic and they're in it because they're anti-Trump, then that's where they can spend their dollars and be good people.
3: Yeah. I actually wrote an op-ed about four months ago asking Tom Steyer to buy Clear Channel or iHeartRadio, it's called now, because it was for sale back then. It was for sale for $1.1 billion And that's like, you know, seven, 800 radio stations. And you could put progressive programming on all of them. I mean, ever since Mitt Romney took over Clear Channel back in the day, you know, his, whatever you call it, his vulture capital firm, that's when Clear Channel started shedding progressive shows and taking what was then Air America off the air or the the remnants of air america was then syndicated by westwood one but yeah so steyer i think you know he should make a big investment in media and become the left's uh, rupert murdoch if he wants to be a beloved figure and you know the big question now is is mike bloomberg going to turn his big guns i.e his money on donald trump or on bernie sanders and i don't know the answer to that question and it concerns me tremendously so anyhow there's that gina thanks a lot for the call tim in Fountain Hills Arizona, hey Tim, what's up? Good morning, Mr. Tom.
7: Hey. I've got a suggestion, and I don't know how to get it out there to the ranking politicians that I really support, which are Bernie and Elizabeth, but seems to me like a we the People amendment to the Constitution that would really come forth and say, "We're the rulers, and we're going to put down any group at all that opposes us
3: what does that mean uh that that sounds autocratic Tim. that that does not appeal to me
7: basically what it means in effect is we the people through our elected representatives get to call the shots in the us of a
3: well you if you want that tim what you have to do is get money out of politics because the not we the people part that is twisting and perverting our elections is big money from the health insurance industry, which is supporting a couple of the Democratic candidates and, of course, all the Republicans. Big money from the banksters, which is supporting some of the Democratic candidates and the Republicans. Big money from the pharmaceutical industry that is supporting some of the Democratic candidates and all of the Republicans. If we can get that big money out of politics, and that's going to require some significant changes in legislation, and it may require expanding the Supreme Court, which Elizabeth Warren has proposed, and with which I agree. It's one of the solutions in my book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court, The Betrayal of America. It may require expanding the Supreme Court to undo some of their decisions, like the Buckley decision, the Bellotti decision, and the Citizens United, McCutcheon and McDonnell decisions. You know, all these things need to be changed. But the way to do it, Tim, the way to accomplish what you're talking about is not to pass a law saying, you know, we are the majority and therefore you are screwed, you know, rich people. It's to tax the rich people and to get the money out of politics. Penelope in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Penelope, what's up?
0: Hi, I'm a first-time caller. I love your show. Thank you. I heard on Democracy Now!, which is just before your show, that the tickets that were sold to guarantee seats at that debate in south carolina were from a thousand to thirty two hundred dollars it was from seventeen hundred dollars to thirty two hundred dollars
3: yes and and so what you had basically in the audience were wealthy people
0: okay did that money go to joe biden or did it go to somebody that was up there in the, in the debate
3: that money went to the south carolina democratic party is my understanding and okay you know, these these were donations so what you had were in the audience were people who were capable of writing a two thousand dollar check and when half of america can't even deal with a four hundred dollar medical expense, you know, when 60% of America can't deal with a $1,000 medical expense or automobile expense without without it really provoking a crisis for them. I think it's safe to say that with the working class people and poor people and people of color who, who uh, share those categories, we're not well represented in the audience spot on. You're absolutely right. Thanks a lot for the call, Penelope. Jessica in Riverside, Illinois. Hey, Jefferson, Jessica, thanks for Hi. watching Free Speech. What's up?
1: Hi, I totally agree with you about Pete. He's rude and arrogant. But I also wanted to say, I read an article in the Washington Post, and it was so concerning. It talked about the Americans that were evacuated from Japan from the Princess cruise ship. Yes. And they were put in the buses headed for the airport. They sat in those buses for two and a half hours while... The State Department argued with the CDC. The CDC told them they didn't want the 14 infected people with the virus, with the healthy people. And the State Department overrides the CDC. Right, and
3: apparently it was because the State Department didn't want the expense of having two separate airplanes.
1: Oh, I believe it. And I have one other thing. I have a question for you. I was driving in the car, and on MSNBC, a reporter was talking with a couple that was quarantined. And the the couple was telling them about how their situation was. Jessica,
3: get your question right away, because we got 10 seconds.
1: Oh, the woman said it was 80 degrees in there. The husband fixed a leak in the washroom. That couple has never been heard of again. I think it's already a cover-up.
3: It may be. It may be, Jessica. Thank you for the call. Jim in Valley Center, California. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today?
4: Hey, Tom. I wanted to comment on Bernie Sanders' line about Fidel Castro. My take is Obama said it when he was president. Bernie is saying it when he wants to be president. My point is is Bernie should say, first of all, Fidel Castro was a dictator, a tyrant. A he did say court.
3: that on 60 Minutes, emphatically. Yes,
4: but he didn't say it strong enough, Tom. And I'm—I was with a bunch of people last night, and they, you know, they naturally, uh, you know, pick up on that. Half of them are Republicans, and I just—they're not going to vote for Bernie no matter what. But the point being is that Bernie, I think, needs to disavow any friendship with Castro or his regime, and he's got to come out as forceful as he does as Medicare for All and that, because they're going to hang. Trump's gonna play that over and over and over again, and he has to really be ready to fight that.
3: Well, I don't disagree that he's gonna have to fight it, but I also think that the vast majority of Democrats, if Bernie is the nominee, are gonna look at this and say, okay, so Bernie said the exact same thing Obama said, so what, I'm still gonna vote for him. I don't think that that's gonna cost him any Democratic votes outside of possibly a small part of the Cuban population in Florida, and frankly, that would be the Cubans who are my age, the ones who actually escaped from, from Cuba, or even older than me. Um, the younger Cubans, the second and third generation Cubans, they're solidly progressive now in Southern Florida, whereas their fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers were solidly conservative and Republican. That's the change. That's why Marco Rubio has just you know, lost his mojo. I mean, he was the guy who represented the former rich Cubans, the Batista Cubans, and they're just dying off. They're dropping like flies.
4: The codicil to that, and I don't disagree with what you just said, but the codicil to that is if I'm on the fence as a voter, mm. um, I don't want that thrown into the voter's uh, 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 mindset. I just would— But here's I the was, thing, uh, Jim. When uh, when
3: Obama opened the United States to Cuba and vice versa, when when Obama legalized you know movement to, to Cuba— Um, I I don't know if you recall, but it was, I believe it was like about three years out of the end of his presidency. So it would have been around 2013, 2014. Um, And then he made a trip to Cuba and he met with them and and said, you know, here's the good things you're doing. Here's the bad things you're doing. Let's try. and, And the trade will help. There was a lot of polling that was done on that. And what they found was that Republicans overwhelmingly supported what Obama was doing not just Democrats. So I think that if Bernie comes along and says, yeah, you know, we don't like, you know, dictators, uh, but let's open up our relationships like Obama tried to do with Cuba. I don't think he's gonna lose Republican votes. uh, Those who might be inclined, you know, people on the middle, people on the fence. I don't think he's gonna lose those votes. Obama didn't uh, lose those votes. I don't
4: agree agree with that part. I think that he's already labeled with the socialist uh, thing that is obviously not true, as we all know. He's democratic socialist but we don't want to give the opponent uh, the ammunition to use against us. That's just my point.
3: Well, it's already out there. You can't stop it. And that's yeah. and, and, and that's why I think that, you know, we just need to point out there was a time in the United States for about three years where we had a good relationship with Cuba. Uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans, visited Cuba and, you know, can t- talk about this from personal experience. And, and it was a good thing for us, and it was a good thing for Cuba, and we should go back to that. And Trump blew that up just as a gratuitous, you know, tossed to the the hard right Cubans in in, uh, in Florida, by and large. And uh, like I said, they're dying off. Jim, thanks for the call. You know, I get your concern and we're all concerned. We don't want to see another four years of Trump. It would be a disaster for this country. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Tom in Stewart, Florida. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, uh, well, you, you mentioned Hitler's creation of the Autobahn system, and I'm thinking when people are attacking Bernie
4: for defending uh, good things that Castro did, he should mention that Eisenhower adopted the Autobahn idea to create our interstate system. You're right. So a good idea is a good
3: idea, right? You're right. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Excellent yeah. point. Tom, thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. Joe in Fowlerville, Michigan. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today?
7: Uh, I've noticed that, you know, uh, I haven't thought on any show or anything about the, our salute is supposed to change when we run from a fight. We, when we ran out of Vietnam, like we did, and left all our allies to get killed and everything. And, you know, to happen whatever happens to them. And Trump just like did like that did. to the Kurds in Syria. Yes, yes, we did. And because we did that, our salute had to change. We changed our salute 74. And when it got changed back, I don't know, I come out before it, uh, it changed. But they go to 1:30 instead of three o'clock when you salute somebody, and I heard no one talk about that. But it's a military law we were told back then. People that actually had to serve two weeks detail duty for not doing it on our base today. that. That's interesting. I was one of them. Over a hundred people. At first they started doing Article 15s, but then they realized there were too many people that it was happening to, so they went to details. So they that changed the experiment.
3: salute from three o'clock to 1:30.
7: Yeah. Why? Well they give you a, they give you a window. I think it was like two thirty to 1:30, but right. you had a exposure palm. Right. But you're not all the way up. You couldn't go to twelve noon or read right. I get
3: it. But why did this happen, Joe?
7: It was because uh, we ran from a fight. Seriously? In 74,
3: leave. the military said that was the yes. reason? Yep, they changed the flute and everything. I was one of all, uh, ones again. That's amazing. I've been wondering why the Republican Party in 2000 flipped their stars upside down. It went from the American star, the five-pointed star with the top point at the top, you know, looking like a Leonardo da Vinci's man, you know, with the, the five points, flipped it upside down so that now on the top, you got the two goat horns. On the sides, you got the two goat ears, and on the bottom, you got the chinny, chin, chin. That's the satanic star. That's a pentagram rather than a. Or a pentangle i guess it's called rather than a, a star and no republican has been able to explain to me why the republican party officially in the year 2000 changed the stars on their logo and you can just see this anywhere change the stars on their logo from the american star that is on our flag to the satanic star that the church of satan uses and yeah, I didn't know about the salute. You didn't know about the stars. Look up the stars. I'll look up the salute. I find this stuff fascinating. And... Yeah,
7: I know. I'd like to see the you know, someone address it, especially with Biden coming after Sanders like he is, when he voted for you know the war and everything. And you think it cost over a million lives of so Iraqis and what, yeah. over forty thousand paraplegics. And- it goes on and on. I, I know you're aware about most of that stuff,
3: in that. Yeah, no, we've paid a terrible price for George Bush lying us into two wars, yes, two yes, unnecessary wars in Afghanistan. Mullah, right in Afghanistan, Mullah Omar came right out, the, the leader of the Taliban, the leader of Afghanistan, and said, "If you, you know, if you've got any evidence that Bin Laden did this, and of course we had the evidence, um, provide it to the world, and I will arrest him." And and uh, George W. Bush said, "No, we'd rather have a war." And then that wasn't enough of a war. He had to lie us into the war in Iraq because Dick Cheney had already pre-sold the oil in Iraq and it's just it's obscene and to this day Americans are dying and being wounded and being injured as a consequence of those Republican lies Joe thank you for the call Um, and and thanks for the information we'll be back tomorrow same bat time same bat channel in the meantime don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport it requires action that is you get involved make sure your voter registration is solid tell your friends how to find progressive media And get out there and get active. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. So you look in the mirror and you see those wrinkles around your eyes, crow's feet, under-eye bags. Now, just imagine that they're gone. And I'm not talking about going in for some kind of risky, expensive surgery. Just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crows, feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. You can see the demonstrations over on their website at triplexiderm.com. They actually have videos of this in 10 minutes or less. In just a few minutes, you see these radical changes. It's remarkable. You look 10 years younger. I'm blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it. Unless, of course, you tell them. Go to TriPlexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an additional $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TriPlexiderm.com today and use the code VOICES at checkout. That's TriPlexiderm.com, code VOICES. One.